that they're going to be doing tonight and tomorrow. So, um, yeah, let's dive in. Um, well, I came to know Christ at uh, age 18, uh, the summer before my freshman year in college. I remember having to learn to navigate relationships uh, with girls uh, as a new believer and not really having a clue, how do you do this in a Christian way? Um, over the first two years of college, I remember one illustration someone shared with me or I heard somewhere that basically was like, how do you find a godly spouse? And they said, here's their advice. Here was their advice to, to singles. They said, run as hard as you can toward Jesus. You're just running toward Jesus. And then one day you kind of look over and see who's running beside you. And you're like, hey, how are you? You want to come run over here with me? And, and that, that's how you like, like focus on Christ, run hard after Christ, but you are running toward Jesus with each other, striving after Christ, running with your future spouse. And that kind of undergirds some of the idea that we're going to talk about tonight, which is marriage as mission. Uh, Kristen and I really got thinking more about this. We had a, our own little marriage retreat uh, a few months ago, and we were watching the video series by Francis and Lisa Chan that was talking about uh, marriage, and, and they talked about marriage in light of eternity. And so just this mission that we can have in our marriage and how marriage can be focused toward that. So before we dive into that concept of marriage's mission, which may be new and maybe like odd as a first thing to talk about, I hope I'll explain why. Let me kind of review with you that this kind of isn't session one. We kind of did session one this past Sunday. If you weren't there on Sunday, I sent a Realm post out to try to listen to it. Um, if not, you can listen to it like 1.5 speed of me talking on the way home tonight, and you'll get through it in like really fast. Um, but here's kind of where we went. Marriage is predominantly, predominantly about glorifying God. You'll see the Christopher Ash quote that I used right there in your outline. The key to a good marriage is not to pursue a good marriage, but to pursue the honor of God. So our end goal is not just to have a good marriage, but to seek first the kingdom of God. Um, secondly, we talked about on Sunday, marriage is designed by God. We looked at Genesis 1 and 2, how God created man and woman to rule the earth under his rule, to be fruitful and multiply, how there's this oneness within the marriage, this inward orientation, but also this outward orientation. This is that outward orientation is a lot what we're going to discuss tonight. Um, and and the, the joy and love that they had in God's definition of marriage in his divine institution. We then looked about how marriage is defiled, how sin came into the world. So, as Dave Harvey says, when two people get married, sinners are saying, I do. And so within marriage, like, who you sin against the most in your, in your life is probably the person you're closest to that is around you, which is probably going to be your spouse and your kids. Like, that's kind of how it is, and then coworkers or neighbors or something like that, those who are around you. And so how man has particular temptations and sin, and women have particular temptations and sin. We'll get into those even more as we look at Ephesians 5 later on this weekend. And then fourth, we saw that marriage is redeemed by Christ. So marriage is not just a picture in creation, which is glorious of how God created, but it's also a picture of Christ's redemption. Marriage primarily is a picture of Christ and his church. 
So as we go into this, um, we're not just thinking about the inward orientation. That's what we're going to be predominantly talking about tomorrow is the inward orientation. How do we communicate? How do we handle conflicts? How do we think about romance and sexual intimacy and all those other aspects of marriage? But today, tonight we're kind of starting to pull back and think through how does our marriage have the outward orientation? How do we take ground for the kingdom as we think about our marriage? And, and what would that even look like? And why does God desire that within the, the um, or, orientation and, and nature of marriage? So first point is this, and I think I fill in the blank for you. There's my water. Marriage as the gospel picture. Ephesians 5.31 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's quoting Genesis. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So Paul found that it was profound. Do you find it profound that your marriage is a picture, a living illustration of Christ and his church? As a husband lays down his life for the bride, as he loves her, cares for her, nourishes and cherishes her, it points the wife, but also points to everybody around, everybody who's observing, it points them toward Christ. In Christ's love for the world. It's a living picture of the gospel, the love of Christ, the care of Christ, the compassion of Christ, the tender cherishing of Christ. A husband being for his wife, like her biggest fan, rooting her on, pointing not just the wife to Christ, but all who observe the marriage. Francis Chan talks about the great privilege and responsibility of of a husband. He says this is one of the favorite things he thinks about, is a husband helping prepare his wife for the day she's going to see Jesus face to face. Like in that, that's a predominant thought for a husband. Like, how am I preparing my wife to that day? That's a great privilege. Just consider... We're not just preparing our wife in the picture of marriage. This is that outward orientation. We're preparing other people as they're around our marriage, as they're observing our marriage for that day, showing the kingdom of God on earth in our marriage, saying that this is a heavenly reality. So our marriage has a part to play in Christ's mission. Our marriage has a part to play in Christ's mission. Also, as a wife submits to her husband, trusts her husband, leans on her husband, respects her husband, and helps her husband, she's encouraging her husband to pursue Christ. She's encouraging him in that. It shows all who observe this marriage show how the church is to lean into Christ, following Christ. Christ. A wife might say, I don't understand all of my husband's leadership, but I trust him. How many times do we have to say as a church, I don't understand all the things that Jesus tells us to do. Like, I don't understand all the ways when we do church discipline as a church. Like, man, this is really difficult. But we honor our great husband, right? We follow 
Christ even in the unknown. There's a disposition of trust. So just as the church doesn't understand everything, we follow Christ. So here's my question. Does your marriage give an accurate picture of the gospel or an inaccurate picture of the gospel? I want us to do a little experiment. You can close your eyes if you want and think about some adults in your life, your neighbors, maybe your coworkers, your extended family members. Think about them observing your marriage. Just really, like they see you. Just think about people who see you, your interactions, husband, wife, you and your spouse. How would they observe Christ and the church with your marriage? How does that work out? How does that reflect Christ and the church? We want to think about the picture that God gives us And then, here's my next question. Are you willing to do absolutely anything to make your marriage a more accurate picture of the gospel? Are you willing to do absolutely anything to make your marriage a more accurate picture of the gospel? Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to forgive? Are you willing to talk? Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to understand? And are you willing to be misunderstood? Are you willing to work hard, read books, pray together, say no to some things and yes to other things in order for your marriage to have the most accurate picture of the gospel possible? Are you willing to glorify God in your marriage? Friends, your marriage is not merely about your marriage. Your marriage isn't just about you and your spouse. It is a picture, a glorious picture to the world. Our marriage is not just about getting our needs met. It is about Christ being honored and glorified. And we've got to understand that picture of marriage before we understand the mission, the outward orientation that marriage is supposed to be. And I want to give us a couple pictures that we may not think about initially coming into a marriage workshop of how the scriptures talk about our relationship with our spouse. So I'm going to kind of, the next two points are going to be about that. Point number two is this, marriage as siblinghood. Marriage as siblinghood. The primary way believers in the New Testament act toward each other is as siblings, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you and your spouse are followers of Jesus Christ, you are adopted by the Father as spiritual siblings. You might be thinking, this is super weird. Like, are we in West Virginia now? Like, we're not. If you're from West Virginia, no offense. I'll choose another state. Or you might be thinking about siblinghood and you're thinking about like how you grew up and you're like, I don't want the way I treated my brother or sister. Uh, Kristen's parents tell the story of when her brother Andy, he was the older brother, he was a toddler. I don't know how old Kristen was at the time. And Andy had this gun, this toy gun, and had the barrel of the gun in Kristen's mouth pulling the trigger saying, dead baby, dead baby, dead baby. So we're not doing that. That's not the siblinghood 
We are talk- they're really good friends now, by the way. <laughs> and Andy's a godly guy, just to let you know. Her, her brother, he was a little jealous, I believe. That's not what we're talking about. Husbands, what we're talking about is do you treat your wife as a daughter of the king? Do you treat your wife as a daughter of the king, as royalty, as the princess that Scripture says she is? She's not only made in God's image, she's becoming more conformed to Christ every day. She is blood-bought by the Lamb of God with all the dignity and worth and value. So do you speak to her in that way? Do you speak about her in that way? Friends, in light of being spiritual brothers and sisters, a heavenly family, how do you speak to your spouse? Do you point out their weaknesses and failures and insecurities? Do you bring up past mistakes? Are you harsh Or do you point out grace? Do you build up your spouse in love? Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Like, if we just walk towards Scripture of how we treat our other siblings in Christ, that would make radical differences in marriages. Be kind. Husband, be kind, wife. Be tender-hearted, husband. Be tender-hearted, wife. Forgive one another, husband. Forgive one another, wife. Why? How can you do any of that? It's not rooted in you. As God in Christ forgave you. You can forgive because you've been forgiven. Right? That's how we walk forward. I'm going to open up to Colossians. I didn't put this in your outline, but in Colossians 3, here's what Paul says right before he dives into marriage, okay? So the context is he's going to be heading toward marriage. We're actually not going to cover that passage tonight, but here's what he says. Let's just think about it with my spouse in mind in our relationship. This is 3.12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, is what you put on, compassion, tenderness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, and I would say in your homes, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and singing and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And here we go. Think about your spouse. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Like if we walk out the teaching of Scripture, like if we just walk out what Paul would say is basic Christianity and charitability 
and compassion and love and humility, like that's going to make for a really good marriage. That's going to make for a fruitful marriage, an encouraging marriage that then leads toward an outward orientation that takes ground for the kingdom. And that's where we're going with the siblinghood idea. Friends, I've counseled lots of different marriages, and I've seen in the counseling office the battle where, like, I know that guy or that girl wouldn't treat a stranger the way they're treating their spouse. I was in a counseling situation yesterday where, where the husband had some very biblically correct things to say, but a very harsh way to say it. And I had to like, and you could see the wife go, like she was like, and what he said was biblically correct. But I was like, that's, that's truth, but not in love. Friends, we may be biblically correct, but if we're swinging a sledgehammer, that's unhelpful. And who's going to hear that? Not too many people, right? So we need to be kind. We need to treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends, the reality then is this, and here's where I'm kind of going, is if we view our spouse as a spiritual sibling, we have a confidence in the father of that sibling. And we have a confidence that in whatever way change may be needed, whatever way growth may be necessary, the Father's got this. The Father cares more than I do about my spiritual sibling. And the Father is at work through the Son and obviously the indwelling Spirit. I'm slowly learning this. Chris and I were on a date a few days ago and she was just expressing some discouragement. Some... So we were talking, and I had the temptation to fix the problem. Like, I kind of like, knew the answer to the problem, but she didn't. She wasn't talking. She knew the answer to the problem. She was wanting to talk it out. I've learned through fumbling that, messing, botching that so many times that like, okay, Mike, just pray right now. The Lord is working in her heart and in her life. You, Mike, are called to shut up and listen. You're called to love your wife by letting her talk it out and then asking some questions, asking, asking questions and taking longer than you think it needs to to talk through this and to love your spouse in this way because she's a sister and God is my father and God is her father and God loves her more than I do and he began the good work and he's going to complete it. If we view our spouse as a spiritual sibling, how much more in knowing the father's love for them will we walk in a restful patience where we see our spouse needs to change or a restful grace to to follow the lord and like point out the grace of where 
the spouse is doing well. And Christopher's going to get in this about communication tomorrow. I'm sure I'm still in his thunder. But like that is the goodness of the Lord. And that is what prepares us for mission because we're shining the light. Who doesn't want that kind of love and that kind of relationship? God is working and molding and forming our spouse. So then the other category that goes very closely to this, third point, is this, marriage is friendship. Marriage is friendship. If marriage is a living illustration of Christ and the church and the world, and Paul says it's profound, don't you think that we should really like being around the other person? Don't you think we should enjoy being around our spouse? Don't you think we should be really good friends? It, it concerns me, friends, when a husband's default is not to be with his wife or a wife's default is not to be with her husband. And maybe you don't have the same interests, but shouldn't the greatest commonality be that we are in Christ? Like the greatest thing we have and we um, have in common is that we are adopted into the family. So it doesn't fully matter. It does matter what, you know, preferences are. But if we don't like the same board games or don't like hunting trips together or don't like sports teams, or don't, and the list goes on, I like to cook, she doesn't like to cook. I like to, you know, we could just... Everybody does that. But if that is the rootedness of why we want or don't want to be around each other, it's personal preference, that's based on selfishness, right? Francis Chan has this quote. I think it's in your outline. And his wife's name's Lisa. He said, truth be told, Lisa and I have very little in common. I love sports. She doesn't. She loves them all. I hate it with a passion. She likes to sing. I sound like a cow. I love weird Asian food. She thinks it's creepy. I love to surf. She won't go in the ocean. She likes serious conversation. I enjoy sarcasm. She loves Jesus. I love Jesus. And that's enough. She loves Jesus. I love Jesus. And that's enough. The greatest commonality in our marriage will be Christ. So mutual love for Christ and mutual mission for Christ, and mutual passion for the kingdom of Christ. That brings a freshness to the relationship within the marriage and the friendship. Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Jesus called his disciples his friends. We're to lay our lives down. We know husbands are called specifically to lay our lives down. I think there's a laying down life on both sides for our friends. There's no greater love, is what Jesus says. Husbands and wives continually laying down their lives for one another, showing love to one another, that builds a friendship. So, husband and wife, are you good friends? Or is that an area where this weekend maybe God wants to cultivate all the more. Cultivate that realm of friendship 
That may just be the simple, like the thing, the takeaway that God wants for you this weekend. And guys, I would just challenge you to lead in growth in this area. C.J. Mahaney has an excellent book called Sex, Romance, and the Glory of God. And I'll just say this. This is my wife's favorite book that I've ever read. Let me say that again. This is my wife's favorite book that I've ever read. She's like, read it again, Mike. Read it again. It's a great book. I just encourage you, husbands, to read it. The last chapter, I think, is toward the wives. So it's his wife, Carolyn, writing to the wives. And the thesis of that book is touch your wife's heart and touch your wife's mind before you touch your wife's body. Touch your wife's heart and mind before you touch her body. And so then he just lays out, and I talked about this a little bit on Sunday, studying your wife. Know her likes and dislikes. Know her shoe size or her preference of shopping or her what she wants in her coffee or like know these things. You do not have to know every woman, guys. You do not have to know every man, ladies. You need to know your spouse extremely well. Study them. Be in grad school in studying your spouse. It has been revolutionary for us. That book, I read it probably, I don't know, 15 plus years ago, came up with Kristen 101 document. That is an active document on my computer. And what I do is I type in, like when she drops little like, hey, I would like that sometimes, like, blah, blah, blah. and then twice a year, I actually go through the whole thing, have different categories, different interests, vacation spots, date nights, those And guys, I can share the date night stuff. I got a whole slew of date nights in Charleston. But if you don't like the outdoors, you're going to hate it. But we are outdoor people. We love being outdoors. That's like part of what we do. If you like indoor stuff, get someone else's date night list (laughs) because mine's not going to be helpful. But this is part of the friendship. This is part of oneness because we want to bless our spouse. We don't have to bless everybody else's spouse. You bless your spouse. Know what she likes. Know what he likes. Study them. When John Piper talks about biblical manhood, guys, the word that he kind of highlights is the word let's. He said, this is what biblical manhood should look like. The word let's. L-E-T apostrophe S. Let's. It's this initiative of leading That's like, hey, why don't we do this? Let's go on a date. Let's take a walk. Let's have that hard conversation. Let's pray together. Let's have a spiritual conversation. And guys, I'll just challenge you. If you have three let's per day, you're going to have over a thousand per year. Like, just don't try to figure all this out in, in like cram it all in that one week of I'm going to be a good husband. Like this is the slow pace. If you have three let's conversations and say, hey, let's take a walk and talk a little bit. Let's sit down after we put the kids to bed and talk for a second. Let's go on a date this week or go on a getaway next month or let's. It's this initiative 
And friends, if, if you have a thousand let's conversations over the next year, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be cultivating a friendship. You're going to be cultivating the friendship. Wives, this is not just for the husbands. I know I talk a lot to the husbands. So wives, please bear with me. I'm a guy and I'm passionate in talking to the men. But I talked to Kristen. I was like, help me. Kristen's been through this outline twice, helping me revise and change stuff. She's my wonderful editor. And she was saying one of the greatest ways to be a friend to your husband is to keep your husband primary in your affections, especially once you have kids. Keep your husband primary in your affections, especially once you have children. As I talked to Kristen about how to help the wives in the room, she told me it's both a struggle about the struggle and the intentionality that it takes to have weekly time together without the kids. Because the kids are around. It takes intentionality for kids to not be around. So whether it's in-home dates or out-of-the-home dates or yearly getaways. Kristen was talking to me about how it's hard to do getaways. It's hard to figure out the child care issues and where kids are going to go and how's that going to go and what house and, you know, all that kind of stuff around that. But it's worth it. It's worth the time. And let's just say this, it's worth the little discomfort that little junior feels like he's going to be without mom or dad. They'll get over it. Friends, they will get over it. Now, if there's like some special needs stuff, like, I mean, you can talk to families in our church who have special needs, and they get away. All the ones I know, they have getaways. Like, we can figure this out. And let me just say this. This is part of our doctrine of the church of we're not like family. We are family. We can help each other. Like, if we're for each other in this, we can have a community where, like, oh, I'm watching those kids that weekend, so I can get away that weekend. And then we're, you know, where we're, like, swapping and helping each other. And as the family with the most kids in this church, let me just say, we've been radically blessed. And so if we impose on people, please know whatever you ask is way less. So you just be like, I know the Seaver. <laughs> like, so like, please, let's do this. Part of friendship is growing in this area of just prioritizing. Prioritize our spouse. Is, is he or she priority? And do they know it? Do they know that they're the priority? That's part of friendship. You know you're a priority to that person. So would your spouse say, I know that I'm the priority over a hobby or over work or over the kids or over whatever the fill in the blank, that there's a priority. So those marriage gospel our marriage is a gospel picture. We pulled on two relational aspects of both the siblinghood and the friendship that leads to then the fourth point, the little shift toward the mission here, is marriage and the stewardship of gifts. Marriage and the stewardship of gifts. 
when we think about our spouse being chosen by God, predestined by God, adopted by God, redeemed by God, forgiven by God, given the Holy Spirit of God, we must think God wants to use our spouse. Don't you think? Like, God didn't do all that for, eh, good job, we'll go to heaven. But God wants to use your spouse. Do we have the category of how do I steward the gifts of my spouse? Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God wants you and your spouse to do his work that he's prepared. He's already got this. He prepared you. He made you for this. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 and 11 I love these passages, and you could just go through almost like each word and just pull out new understanding. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each who have the Spirit, who each, it's a manifestation of the Spirit. What's it for? It's for the common good. It's not for you. Your spiritual gifts aren't for you. They're for others. They're for mission. They're for the church, the upbuilding and edification and encouragement of the church. Then verse 11 says, All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. God's doing what God wants to do because God's God and you're not and I'm not. But God has given specific spiritual gifts to your spouse for his glory, their good, your good, and the mission of the church and the edification of the body. So the big question is, do you know your spouse's gifts? Or another way to say it, what Holy Spirit gifts does your spouse have? And then how do you steward those? So this is going to be a little audience interaction moment, okay? I want you to talk and tell me some of this. So here's the question. What is a gift. I'm not saying all the gifts. I'm not going to let you have like 15 minutes to expand on all the gifts of your spouse. But what is a gift of your spouse and how do you guys try to steward that gift? What is a gift that your spouse has and how do you try to steward that gift? So whoever wants to raise their hand, we're going to have a little talking session. Oh man, there's a bunch. So there's like Four different lists, three different lists, and they're not exhaustive, so they're not all of them. So we could have anything from, you, you, I thought Mickey was getting ready to recite them. Just going, like, <laughs> he's like, I've got it. Um, so 1 Corinthians 14 has some, 1 Corinthians 12 has some, Romans 14. No, that's, okay, that's helpful. So fruit, there's a difference between fruit of the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did I leave one out? Faithfulness? I always leave one out. Um, those are the fruits of the Spirit. That's the Spirit working in you or working in your spouse, which I would just say, and Christopher's probably going to hit on this tomorrow, that's a wonderful way to point out evidences of grace in your spouse. Know the fruits of the Spirit. Know the gifts of the Spirit. That's how you point out evidences of grace. Point out the fruit, point out the gifts. Okay, so let's talk about the gifts. 
Gifts can be um, anything from what people consider the dramatic to ones that people think are like, oh, I don't know how that one works. So gift of administration is a gift of the Spirit. Gift of leadership, gift of hospitality, gift of mercy, gift of distinguishing between spirits, gift of tongues, gift of interpretation of tongues, uh, gift of prophecy, uh, healing, gifts of healings. And actually, that's interpreted gifts of healings in the, in the Greek. Name some other gifts. I'm Wisdom, mercy. Grace is a gift, but I don't know that's in the list. So yeah, is that helpful? All right, so back to the question. What gift, gift, we're going to say one, of your spouse, does your spouse have, and how do you try to steward that? And if you don't know, I would just say this may be a point of homework that's a really joyful cultivation of thinking about this. Josh. Can you switch now? How do you steward that? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay, so let's just pause on the hospitality for a second and whoever else might be gifted hospitality. So if you're stewarding and helping steward a gift of hospitality in the home or in just that gifting, um, that's going to take time, right? Like when are we going to have people over? How's it going to look? That takes conversations. It takes intentionality there. It, who, who are we having over? It takes finances, right? Like, so, like, so are we having hot dogs? Are we having steak? Like, what, like, the level of hospitality, I mean, there's a host of things. We were over, I think the Gavins have hospitality gifting. We were over at their house the other day, and man, they had the water slide out. Like, that's a gift right there, not a gift like spiritual gift, but it's like, if you come over and you know there's the water slide outside, you, child care's done. Like, which, which some of that is like knowing, having that eye and heart of like, what's going to bless not just me, not just that person in the family, but what's going to bless the people that are coming. So it's thinking above and beyond. All right, let's do another. What's a gift your spouse has and how do you seek to steward it? And if it's hospitality, can you hold on that since we just talked about hospitality? Let's do a different one. All right. Ari. Okay. Okay. 
So gift of leadership and then encouragement in that. Okay, good. Do you feel that encouragement? She's like, man, he's my Spider-Man. It's like going after it. With your shoulders and not, not, she's not looking at your ear, dude. She's looking at your shoulders. Like, that is going to come back on you, Isaac, for years to come. Good. One more. One more. Yeah, go ahead. Prayer. Yeah, I mean, I think faith and prayer, like, all that goes together, absolutely. So then how would you steward that? Okay. Okay, so space. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Wake up. So space, yeah, I mean, let's, let's just kind of take that one for a second. Let's say your spouse has a gift of prayer or just someone you're kind of talking through. What other things would you think about, like, how, you, how that should be stewarded? Let's talk about that for a sec. Okay, a prayer list, things that like, hey, please be praying for me about this. Good. What else? Okay, thanking them for the time of prayer and for the prayer they're doing. What else? Good, pointing out people who need prayer. So you see there's someone hurting over there. There's someone, you know, you're seeing the prayer needs, and so you're, you know, so what about like, hey, I've got whatever the other responsibility you might have. So like Sunday morning, like if you have a gift, if your spouse has the gift of prayer, and I'm not saying you have to do this, I'm really not trying to put this on you, but like, hey, I'm going to take the kids right now so you can pray for that person. That's stewarding gifts, right? Pray for, say, pray for the person who has the gift of prayer. Good. Yeah. Prayer, 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 prayer. Yes. I think that is really helpful because sometimes people that are just prayer warriors, they may forget the, they may be like doing the work, the the battle of prayer and forget like God actually does answer these prayers and pointing those out, right? Which, which stirs more prayer and faith to move forward. Good. Um, one of the things as I'm stewarding Kristen's gifts um, is she's very good like leadership visioning. So like Kristen started our youth ministry. I don't know if you know that. Kristen started Champ Camp. Like these are things that she started but also stewardship's also knowing what they're not good at. Kristen's not going to be the leader of that for years. So she has the vision. It's like, good job, guys. You take that. Like she doesn't want to keep going in those things, but she's a visionary and visionary leader to see where there's a need. And like, especially I remember with youth ministry, we were talking. She's like, babe, this, this Hope Kids is getting bigger. The wave is coming. If we don't start something now, like it's going to be drilling us in a few years. We've got to get something going on. I'm like, babe, let, I don't have the time and breath and bandwidth to do this. She was like, we're going to do it. 
we're going to figure this out. We're going to bring the kids. We're going to, like, and it's like, okay, babe, let's go do it. And so it was just like, okay, let's, let's figure this out. Let's pray. Let's figure, you know, whatever it is. So that's where we can, like, steward whatever the gifting is in our spouse. And I've seen this a lot. Let me just point out just several. Uh, I've seen Christopher over the years steward Stephanie's gift of prayer and prophecy so many different times. I've seen Nathan Wingate release Michelle to do artwork that blesses people. I've seen that so many different times. I remember David and Mandy England would just have this open table of whoever would come over whenever, like, open door. I think it was like every Sunday, whoever wants to come over, we're having food set and just that gifting. Jennifer releasing Jimmy for facility deacon and just doing that kind of stuff. If you, I think about a gifting of, um, if you talk to Anne-Marie Hill about Jim leading community group, just talk, get her alone where you're asking her about her husband leading community group and she kind of like lights up. Like, I love my husband where he takes the Bible and he, like, she just starts talking about this joy of releasing Jim and serving in that way. A godly marriage is one where the husband and wife get excited about the use of the gifts of the other one. Like, where we're rooting on our brother and sister in Christ, where we're moving forward in whatever gifts we have. And when you're using your gifts, it is wind in your sails, right? You're like, I was made for this. It's like that Eric Little, the, the runner, who's like talking about running. What's the famous quote? I feel, I feel God's pleasure when I run. When we are using the gifts we've got, we feel God's pleasure, do we not? And we get to steward that with our best friend who we share a bed with, who we live life with. And don't you see how that's connected to mission? Like, doesn't that make sense? If God's created us, he, he put us together, and then how that gets this outward orientation, which then leads us to the fifth point is this, marriage, gospel witness, and kingdom mission. If marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, we treat our spouse as that brother, sister of Christ, a friend. We steward their gifts. It's not surprising that our marriage will shine to others with the goodness of the gospel. As I've quoted Nathan Wingate saying, we will be questionable. Not in a bad way, but it will stir questions from others. Like, huh, the way, you know, they don't talk to each other the way most married people talk to each other, talk about each other. Matthew five fourteen and following says, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. A marriage that is full of love will not be hidden. The aroma of Christ is not hidden. It is, it is imparted to others. Jesus goes on to say, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. They will see your works and they won't say, good job, Stephanie, good job, Nick. 
They give glory to God. They're pointing to God. Your marriage, who, how you live, points others to the Lord. That's how marriage and mission go together. Francis Chan gives a blueprint for marriage. He says, first, this is in your outline, we must become overwhelmed with Christ's care for us. Number one, we just become overwhelmed with the glory of God, with Christ's care for us. Second, we shower our wives, you can say our spouse for you wives, we shower our wives with the same love we receive from God. So we've received so much love, we give love to our spouse. And third, or next, he says, people are shocked by our extravagant love toward our wives or toward your spouse. People are shocked by extraordinary love in the marriage relationship. As a result, we are given an opportunity to tell them about the love of Christ that compels us. Friends, when we are on mission with our spouse and treating them with extravagant love that we've received from Christ, guess what? There's an outward focus to our marriage, and there's a lot less time for an inward focus. There's a, there's a, a, a lot more mission and a lot less fighting. There's a lot more oneness and a lot less disunity. When we're outward focused, there's not much time for conflict when we're loving Jesus a ton loving our spouse a ton, and we're together in a unified mission. Show me a couple with a common love for Christ and a common zeal for Christ's mission, and I'll show you a couple who's most likely fairly unified. They're probably pretty unified walking out together the gospel. Chris and I have some friends, um, the Postons. They, uh, we know them from... Uh, uh, a school, our kids go to school together. Recently, a 15-year-old that they got to know uh, got pregnant, had a baby, and didn't know what to do, and was trying to figure out just like, okay, she's keeping the baby. I don't even know all the details, but what I do know is I saw Caleb the other day with a baby in his arms. What's their youngest kid, like biological kid? Like Okay, I can't even keep up. But they, they had... Okay, so they're keeping this little baby of this 15-year-old girl who's trying to get through school now. And they're just helping. And because they live with this mission heart, they just... And they have a solid marriage, but the solid marriage helps for a solid mission. Right? So, so this is going well, so then they can take on another burden, another help. So, so our marriage being strong helps in the mission being strong. And that's what we saw with the Postons. That's what we see with many of you. So here's my question, though, friends. Does our marriage multiply mission for the kingdom of God? Let me give a slight warning about this marriage workshop. We, we do have the nuts and bolts of inward or the inward orientation of marriage, the oneness, the communication, the conflict, the intimacy. We do need to talk about that. We definitely need to talk about that. Some of, the, some of us here, that's actually what we really need to focus on 
is getting those things, that communication, how we fight fair, things like that. We need to really deal with that. But some of us, we, we deal so much here in the inward that you need to just stop there and get the outward going. Like get the outward orientation a bit more to the marriage because we don't want just inward orientation and we don't just want outward orientation where we're actually not having a solid marriage here, right? We're just, we're all mission. We're all mission all the time. We're like, actually, there's like, we're not talking at all. Like that would be a problem too. We want the outward in the, and the inward orientation of the marriage that we see in Genesis 1. When I was in college, I heard that illustration about running hard after Christ as fast as possible, then look over and see who's running next, next to you. And that illustration was more profound than I knew as an 18, 19-year-old. For godly marriage, as you're running together, you set that pace, right? And you're running together. And when one person is starting to struggle, starting to have a limp, starting to have heavy breathing, starting to, like, their run toward Christ is fainting a bit. The other person helps them, points them toward Christ. And guess what? As they're pacing together, there's a slew of people behind them. Your kids, your neighbors, your, you know, friends that are watching too, that are learning from you about running hard after Christ. We must be reminded that our marriage is not just about our marriage. Our marriage is about God's glory, God's mission, and God's kingdom in the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this truth. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are wanting to do more than we know or can ask or even think of this weekend. Lord, you want to meet specific people in specific ways tonight and tomorrow. Lord, that there would be marriages that are changed, marriages that are growing, marriages that are honoring you all the more. Lord, so those marriages that are, are doing well, I pray they would, the fan would be inflamed all the more. And those who are struggling, God, I pray that you would help them. Lord, that they would feel your pleasure. They would feel your grace, that you are for them in their marriage. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, we're going to take...